0: Um, this morning, uh, I want to. I want to do. I, I'm I'm very much not like Pastor Don. If that's what you're here for, I'm sorry, but um, but I will teach uh, in a similar way. In that he, uh, we read scripture and then we expand. We we learn. We we study from from what it says rather than what I have to say. Uh, that's a much better way of doing things. And so, this morning, I want to look at. What, or here, I think I called it When You Seek the Face of God. I hate titles. They're the worst. Thing. You don't, you're not here for the title, let's be, let's be honest. Um, but yes, this is, this is the idea of what I want to talk about this morning. When we seek the face of God and, and what that looks like. And why? Because over and over in the Bible, God encourages his people to seek him. And over and over in the Bible, his people uh, choose to sort of do their own thing from time to time, right? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the timeless wisdom of Psalm 25. Sorry, no, Psalm 24. (laughs) Psalm 24. This section of scripture offers us a glimpse into the sovereignty of God, the majesty of the king, and the call to holiness that resonates through the ages. I want to unpack what it means When we truly seek the face of God and what we will find when we decide to go after him with all of our hearts. So we're going to read from Psalm 24, 1 to 6. But before they put that up, I just want to pray. Dear Lord, of all the things that we could have done this morning, we're here. And I pray that we are here to seek your face. Not to listen to some person talk or or to fill up some time or to get a, a spiritual or emotional high but we are here to seek your face. And so take this mess that I've created and turn it into a message. In your name we pray, amen. All right, Psalm 24, verses one to six. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Here's his answer. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, and that person, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be studying But as we get started, I I have to be honest with you, okay? This word, the largest word in my title there, seek is not a word that I use very often in my day-to-day language, right? Uh, Back in the day, or or maybe for some of you still have your VCR remote, there was a button on there that said seek, right? Fast forward, rewind, you could seek through the tape. Maybe your like VH or your cassette uh, player had that too where you could seek through it. The radio in your car might have a seek button Probably a button you've never pressed before in your life, but that will seek through the channels on the radio. So, I mean, I, I know the word, I, I see the word, but if I'm being honest, the the one and only time I ever say the word "seek" is when I'm talking about the game hide and seek. Right? That's that's when I use the word "seek" most frequently, especially with little kids. I'm going to use a few illustrations of my of my kids, my family this morning, but um, and this this is one of them. So. Hide and seek. I can't be the only one who most commonly uses the word seek when we're talking about this game. I'd love a good game of hide and seek. Like, imagine as adults, we all, like, who's there? And, oh, it would be fun. I tried with the youth. They play it with me. It's a good time. And I have kids who like to play hide and seek, too. But when you play hide and seek with kids, it's a little bit different, right? <laughs> when I'm playing with kids, you have to pretend that you don't see the human-shaped mound of a blanket on the couch that's moving up and down with every breath they take. I wonder where you could be. If my kids are listening, I'm sorry, uh, I really do try sometimes, but (laughs) most of the time it's like, oh no, where, where could that, where could you be? Or when I walk into the room and they're like snickering, as soon as I enter the room, they're like giggling with, with joy that I'm like, I'm going to somehow miss them when I can like clearly hear them behind the door. If you've played hide and seek with kids, you, you know what I'm talking about. And then when it's my turn to hide, well, then I, you know, if I really try, I hide, and then my kids can't find me, and they give up, and they just leave me there. (laughs) And then the problem is, it's like, okay, one day they'll get older, they'll get better at hide-and-seek, it'll be more fun to play, but they're going to get old, and then it's not going to be cool to play hide-and-seek with me anymore, and I'm not going to have anyone to play with. (laughs) The thing with hide-and-seek is, if you don't know who you're looking for, you won't really know what you're seeking. And so I've learned all of my kids go to hiding spots. And so depending on who's hiding, I know exactly where to go. Seeking God is the same way. The first step to seeking God is knowing who we're seeking. I'm I'm not even making this point number one because I, I feel like this is an obvious thing. So this is like point negative one or point zero, But but the first step is knowing who it is we're seeking. And to know who it is we're seeking when it comes to God means going all the way back to the beginning. God is first and foremost the creator. The first two verses of of that uh, psalm that I read this morning. The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the sea's and established it on the rivers. These first verses of this psalm, they establish the fundamental truth that all of creation belongs to the Lord. The, the grandeur of the cosmos, the, the, the great expanses. My kids were asking me, I love my son, he's very like um, scientifically minded, but man, he asked me some difficult questions. And he goes, dad, actually maybe this was at but anyways, it doesn't matter. But what's after space? And I'm like, well, there's nothing after space. It just continues to go. Well, but like, what if you just keep going? And I'm like, well, <laughs> how do you explain this to a kid? Like, there, there is. It just continues on. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how. God created all of that. My, my brain can't even begin to explain to a five-year-old or to an eight-year-old that the the grandness of the universe, right? God created that. He spoke that into existence. And at the very same time, the intricate details of our existence, he also created that. This might be too much, but I was showering the other day, and I was thinking as the water was coming down on my head, my ears protect the water from going into my eardrum, like my ear canal. Like I was just standing, I don't know, this is what you think of when you're in the shower, I guess. But the water's like hitting my ear and it's like protecting it. Now, if I turned my head, it would go into my ear. But as I was just standing there, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And the way that your eyes work and how our eyes are nowhere, sorry, cameras, modern cameras are nowhere near the capabilities of focusing and, and the megapixels and, that our eyes are capable of, of seeing and, and doing. And, and God created those intricate details all, all the way down to little little intricate details, all the way up to the, the, the grand cosmos of Of the universe. They're all crafted by the hands of the creator. God formed and established the entire world. And because he is the one who created it, he is the one that everything belongs to. By acknowledging this, it should be doing something in our minds. It should be reminding us as our role of stewards rather than owners of the earth and its blessings. We are stewards of the earth, and all that God created. Now, we regularly use language and ideas in our day-to-day lives that will subtly subtly change that focus and will change it away from God, the creator, and God, the owner, to me, the owner, or me, the creator. We say things like my property or my land, my food, my skills, my gift, my country, my body. And I'm not trying to argue whether or not you earned the money that was needed to pay for the food that you got from the grocery store, okay? You did that. And you're in control of your body. Your brain tells your leg to move when you're walking. I can't control your bodily movements. And yes, the bank would agree. As long as you keep paying the mortgage, you own that property. But I'm talking about recognizing where those things ultimately come from or initially came from. We are stewards of what God created. We are not the creator. And when we truly recognize God's sovereignty over all things, it should cultivate an attitude of gratitude and responsibility in how we care for his creation. So when we say that we're seeking God, it means we're seeking the very one who created everything we can see and everything we cannot see. And we're seeking the one that literally everything belongs to. Everywhere we look, we see the hand, everywhere we look, we see the handiwork of the creator. And so, step one of seeking God is knowing who he is and what he's done, okay? So, that would be like point number zero. My first actual point, though, is this sometimes we can get carried away with the knowing God. And so my point here is intimacy over information. And let me show you this, right? Seeking God's face goes beyond sort of amassing a theological knowledge of who he is. That's important. But it involves creating an intimate relationship with the creator. There's been a few moments as a parent where I've seen the panic on my kid's face when they think they're lost in a big crowd. I'm taller, I can see them, I know where they are, right? They might've got a little bit farther than me or they might not have been listening when I said, okay, let's go, but I can see them. And there's been a few times when I've seen the panic and maybe you know what I'm talking about, the panic on their face when they, they think that they're lost. And if someone were to, or sorry, and the, the, the desire for them to find me is clearly written on their face. So much so that, that a stranger could walk by and see this kid is desiring to find their parent they're lost. They think they're lost. And so if someone stopped, knelt down, and asked my my kids, um, in in the middle of their panic, they said, do you know your mom or dad's name? There's no comfort in them being able to list uh, our name, our address, our phone number. There's no comfort in that. They just want to be close to us. And so knowing who God is, and what he's done is important. That's why I said it, it was like point number zero. It's like a, a given. You must. But he doesn't want us to know him like we know a history lesson. God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. God didn't just create everything. He created every one, Which means God created you. And he loves you exactly the way he created you to be. We say this a lot in like kids' church and and Sunday school and things like that. But I think as adults, we need to hear this too. That he created you the way he created you to be. Not only did he create you, but he loves you. And he redeemed you. Because on your own, we, we couldn't do it. And yet, and he has redeemed you. Any mistake we could make is not outside of God's ability to redeem. He is always willing to redeem and restore us to the image in which he created us. This is the God that we seek. A God who loves us, who created all things, including you, and he has redeemed us. My second point is, is the pursuit of holiness. This is how we seek God. To seek God's face means to align our lives with his holiness, which is a big task. Seeking God's face requires us to address the sin in our lives and to strive for holiness. In a culture that is obsessed with vulgarity and shock value, something I've noticed is there's, there's still a, a quiet, not often spoke about desire for purity, you 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 wouldn't see it on the outside but i i i it's there I know that it's there. How do I know that it's there? Well, I spend some time on YouTube, and as I'm scrolling through YouTube, I might see a video that's called most wholesome video you you'll see all day or maybe you're scrolling through Facebook and and one of those like eight million viewed videos of of like a baby giggling like belly laughing like giggling or, or or a golden retriever who's become best friends with a kitten or something right, and it just gets like. A gazillion views online why because I believe we have this it's pure it's wholesome and I believe that deep down we, we we crave that because we don't see it everywhere we look it's we we want it to be there but we're not going to speak up and say that we want it to be there but man those videos do so well online because of that that like little quiet not not spoken about desire on the inside so one of the ways we we seek and can find God is to have a pure heart, clean hands, and a pure heart. Jesus actually talks about this, Matthew chapter eight verse five: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Right from the right from the mouth of Jesus: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." So so that's what Jesus is saying. You want to see God, pure heart. And then the next part of the psalm echoes. Exactly what Jesus said. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 this time. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? We'll talk about that. Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. If we want to be where God is, a pure heart is a must. To be pure in heart means to be singularly focused on God. Now, there's a a picture of a mountain there, and and in that verse, it talks about this ascending God's mountain, ascending a mountain to to be with God, right? That This is like imagery that should evoke like a, a sense of reverence and awe, but there's a little bit more going on here too. In ancient Israel, the Lord's presence was encountered at the temple in Jerusalem. In the Old Covenant, drawing near to God required a physical relocation. It required Moses to ascend Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord. And later, it was necessary for the Israelites to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. Throughout the Old Testament, being with God, being in communion with God was an external activity. Unfortunately, some Christians still hold this mindset. They attempt to draw nearer to God through external experiences and and elation. And some Christian leaders try to attract followers by building bigger and bigger temples. In the New Testament, though, we discover an important redefinition of the pilgrim's journey. We no longer encounter God through any external journey, but through an internal one. He doesn't dwell on a certain mountaintop, like he might have in the Old Testament, or in a particular building like he might have in the Old Testament. Paul actually makes it very clear when he compares the Old Covenant with the new one, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 12-18. Uh, Since then, we have such hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, The same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So now we we encounter God through presence of his Holy Spirit within us. In this incredible change from the Old Testament, we are now God's temple. We can, God dwells within us. So our pilgrimage to communicate and commune with God is no longer an external journey. We no longer need to climb a mountain or to go to a certain city or to enter a certain building. God is within us. God, through the Holy Spirit, empowers us. In fact, it doesn't even require a visit to church building on a Sunday morning. Seeking God first requires solitude, quietness, and a willingness to uncover some of the areas that we try to hold back from God. So, if we're able to be in God's presence, right? We don't need to climb a certain mountain. We don't need to go to a certain building. Then the psalmist asks asks a pretty vital question. Who is worthy to stand in the presence of the Holy One? We don't have to worry about the holies of holies. We don't have to worry about a certain uh, smaller room within the temple that, that only, like, God is available to all of us. So if God is available to all of us, then who is worthy to stand in his presence, to call upon his name, to be able to communicate with him? The answer can't be the people who sit in these seats the most most often on a Sunday morning. The answer isn't who can sing the most elevation songs or the hill song or Bethel songs. The answer isn't based on outward appearances. It's not an outward thing. The answer is based on the condition of your heart. Clean hands, pure heart. Clean hands and pure heart symbolize a life lived in righteousness and integrity. It's a call to authenticity. So to stand in God's holy place, we must put aside anything that competes for our devotion and focus on him alone. We can't appeal to what is false. Or in other words, draw our strength from anything or anyone but God. If we draw our strength from anything other than God, that thing becomes an idol. Your phone might be an idol. Your job might be an idol. Your favorite news anchor or podcaster might be an idol. Your Jim Gaines might be an idol. Your diet might be an idol. Facebook, Instagram, and I used to be able to include Twitter, but Elon ruined that. Social media might be an idol. Your car might be an idol. Your house might be an idol. Your family might be an idol. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things are by themselves bad. But if they take the place of God being first in your life, They're an idol. If we want to seek the face of God, we must live our lives focused on him first with a pure heart. Psalm 51.10, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I think more often than we're willing to admit, we relate to a verse like that. We know our heart isn't as clean as it should be, and so we beg for God to renew a steadfast spirit. But unfortunately, what can start to happen? We can get stuck at that stage, where we're we're, we're too far from God. We feel like our, our hearts are too dirty to be ever to ever be purified again. This is absolutely not true. If we want purified hearts, all we have to do is surrender to God and ask him to make our hearts new again. When we repent and we walk towards God, he will always embrace us with open arms. He wants to be found by us, maybe even more than we want to find him. A surrendered heart is a pure heart. When our hearts are truly surrendered to God and to his purposes, nothing will stand between us and him. I I feared talking about this this morning because sometimes when you talk about this, I, I, I can feel hypocritical even saying these words to you, right? Do I really have clean hands and a pure heart? Of course not. I won't stand here and try to lie to you. And so you might relate with those words and you might think to yourself, yeah, that's me too. I'm right along with you, Chad. But what I don't want is to, um, I don't want you to beat yourself up because of that. This is what I actually, I, I feared even talking about this because I'm like, I don't know that God wants us to constantly beat ourselves up because we are not good enough. He wants us to admit that we are not good enough. And there's way too many people who aren't willing to do that. And that's a big, generous problem. But on, on the flip side, and something that's not, not talked about too, too often is that sometimes when you come to church and, and you're told that we're not good enough because we don't match God's perfectly, blazingly holy standard. And you just hear that over and over and over again. You believe that you're not good enough, that you never could be good enough because week after week after week, that's all that you hear. But you, you have been redeemed. You are loved. You are created to be the person that God created you to be. That's not the person next to you. You're going to be different than them. Your sins might be different from their sins. You might be different from the person next to them. Don't lie to yourself and pretend you don't have those sins. But don't beat yourself up to think that you're so far from God. You've done so many bad things that week after week, you just, you you, you can't even believe it anymore. That You you, you come and you you just feel bad for yourself and and you walk out of here discouraged and being like, well, What's the point of praying? What's the point of reading my Bible? What's the point of doing any of those things? Because I'm so far from the standard that God set for me. As soon as you turn to him, he is there with open arms, no matter what you have done. No matter what you have done. So lay your idols at the feet of Jesus and ask him to purify your heart. Now, the last two verses in this section I want to look at this morning talk about the the blessing of the Lord. Maybe for some of you today, you might feel like you're doing the pure and godly thing already. If that is you, I commend you. Good on you. But even if you're doing the pure and and the godly thing already, it can feel like something's still missing. You read that verse that says that God, for those who are pure hearts and pure, yeah, clean hands and pure hearts, that God will will bestow his blessings, that his blessing will be available to you. And you go, well, you know what? I certainly don't feel that right now. feels like there's something, it feels like that blessing is missing, God. Maybe it feels like God doesn't see you. Or feels like God isn't able to hear you. There's a possibility you've said something like, why is God allowing my marriage to get like this? Or why is God allowing me to struggle through this health concern? God, where are you? His clean hands and pure heart, I'm trying, God, I'm doing my best. When does the blessing part come? God can meet every need because he is the source that never runs out. But if you're not feeling that, You don't believe me when I say those words. Look at this, Psalm 24, verses five and six. He, the person who is seeking God, will receive blessing from the Lord. It's right there. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So this last portion that we're gonna use this morning makes it very clear that those who seek God will receive blessing from him. That's what it says but receiving blessing from God doesn't mean that we get everything we want. And I wish I didn't have to say that, but I do. God will provide in the same way that a good father provides what his kids need. Taking my kids to the store is a perfect example of this, okay? Retailers know the height of a child, and they're smart. And they, ugh. If you were in marketing or anything like that or, or advertisement, oh, man, you're good at your job. My kids will walk by at eye level is everything they might want. Oh, oh, dad, dad, can I get this? Oh, dad, dad, oh, what about this? Please, this, can I get this? Oh, dad, I've always wanted this. Can I please have it? Oh, you're, you're five. What do you mean you've always wanted this? <laughs> it would be irresponsible of me financially and, you know, as a, as a parent to teach my kids to, to blindly say yes to every request they ever ask of me. That would be irresponsible. And so sometimes with my life experiences or what you might call wisdom, I'm able to tell that the toy that they want, that they're begging for me to get for them, will be broken and destroyed within minutes of getting home, right? Or all the little pieces of that toy will be eaten by their little brother, <laughs> or the candy or the cookies that they want or the chips that they want is gonna ruin dinner that we're going to have when we get home. A good father provides for their children, he does, he loves them, he protects them, and he wants what's best for them, even when they don't agree with his decision all the time. When it comes to receiving blessings, We need to trust that God, remember, the creator of everything, just might know more than us. In fact, he does. And we must trust that he has a plan for our lives no matter what we're going through. I heard a sermon a few weeks ago. The point of the sermon was that there's one gospel that Jesus came and died to fulfill. One gospel. Jesus came with one thing in mind one plan in mind, and that is that Christ is enough as he is. But sometimes we wish that he was enough in in a different way. I'm thankful, God, that you are enough, that you sent Jesus, that he is enough, that he died on the cross, and that that is enough. But I just wish that his enough was a little bit different. I wish it aligned with what I wanted his enough to be. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus was warning his disciples what was going to happen to him. And we know because we can keep reading in the Bible to find out that it did in fact happen. But Peter didn't like hearing what Jesus was saying. He didn't like what he heard from Jesus. And so Peter started rebuking Jesus for saying the things that he was saying. Don't talk about yourself like that. That's not the Jesus I know. Jesus turns to Peter. I was paraphrasing there. <laughs> Jesus turns to Peter, and I'm not paraphrasing here, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. Here's his explanation. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Those are wild words to hear Jesus say to someone. But his point was that Peter was missing the point of why Jesus came to earth. No, 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 Jesus. I I wanted you to come for this reason, not that reason. Peter wanted him to literally be the almighty one. He wanted Jesus to be the all-powerful ruler so his kingdom would overcome all of the other nations. Peter was co-opting the original plan that Jesus had. Yeah, but. The thing was, Peter wasn't wrong, right? He did understand. Jesus was the almighty one who was coming to rule and reign. We, we understand the uh, heavenly kingdom reference now, but but Peter was like, no, 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 no. I want you to be like a political ruler, dominator to to overtake. That's what he wanted. So the problem was was he wasn't wrong, but he wasn't totally right either. And I think sometimes you can be like Peter. We think more about our human concerns than we do God's concerns. We trick ourselves into thinking Jesus died on the cross for your marriage or that Jesus died on the cross for our health, or that Jesus died on the cross for your happiness. Christ died on on the cross in your place so that you could be made right with God. And when we're in relationship with God and when we're seeking his face, he will provide what he knows we need. I think it's natural for us to seek what we think is the answer to our problems first feels backwards for me to even stand here this morning and to tell you to seek God before you seek your own needs. But when we are seeking God, we are seeking the one who can provide for us better than we could ever provide for ourselves and better than we could ever imagine for ourselves. We are seeking help from the creator of all things, the one who spoke it into existence. He wants us to seek him. And so seeking God first, I've said this before, i me say it again. Seeking God first requires solitude, quietness, and a willingness to uncover some of the areas that we try to hold back from God. When we seek the creator, we begin to have a greater understanding of who we are as his creation. So I want to challenge you. Ask God to show you who he created you to be. Not who you want to be. Not to make you like the celebrity or influencer that you would love to be just like. But ask God to show you who he created you to be. As you seek his face, you will find that everything else that seemed so important fades away. And maybe you're someone here today who has a hard time believing that God could ever truly make our hearts new and pure again. Maybe you think you're too far gone. You've done too much. Or too much has happened to you. I want to challenge you to lay down anything that you are putting above God in your life and ask him to just purify your heart. There's nothing that you've ever done that is outside of God's ability to redeem. No matter what decisions you've made or how badly you've messed up, it's not too late to turn back to God. Are you seeking God? Are you relying on him to meet your needs? Or are you just trying to carry the weight of the world by yourself? Choose to seek the face of God and watch as he provides for you when, you're, when you surrender your worries into his hands. I have bad news. He may not provide in a way that you think he will, but I have great news. He will never let you down. He wants us to seek him, and he promises that when we seek him, we will find him. But we have to seek. Sometimes that seeking part gets difficult. We think, well, haven't found him yet, so maybe he's not there. God promises when you seek him, you will find him. The journey of seeking God's face is an invitation to intimacy, transformation, and a life lived in the very presence of our creator. We don't have to go to a special building. We don't have to climb a special mountain. As we seek him diligently, we are assured that we will find him and experience the depths of his love and grace. May we be people who prioritize seeking God's face above all else, allowing his presence to shape us, to guide us, to draw us even closer to him. To stand in the presence of the Holy One, we are called to live with clean hands and pure hearts. And so let us be a generation that seeks the face of God, hungering for his transformative presence in our lives. In a world that often seeks glory in material possessions and temporary achievements, May we recognize the ultimate glory lies in a relationship with the King of glory when we seek the face of God. Let's pray.